Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Matthews Archery, elevating the archery experience. I've been shooting the Phase 4 33 this fall, and that thing has been shooting lights out for me. And so much, I got my first out-of-state buck with the Phase 4, and I got to go to Kansas this year, drew a tag, and got it done on opening day with a beautiful, giant, velvet eight-point with my good friend Cody Butler, and we got it done with the Phase 4, and I can't say enough good things about this bow. I love the deadly accuracy of the bow, the deadly quietness of the bow, and the dead vibration in your hand when you shoot this thing. So if you're interested in learning more about the Phase 4 33, as well as the other bows in Matthew's lineup and accessories, head to matthewsinc.com. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Yamaha Outdoors and their proven lineup of ATVs, side-by-sides, and off-road vehicles. The Hunt Stand team has got the Wolverine RMAX 4 1000 XTR at our side this fall, and we are going to be putting this thing to significant use from the Deerwoods all the way up to the Elk Mountains. If you're interested in learning more about Yamaha, head to yamahamotorsports.com slash side-by-side so you can check out that Wolverine RMAX 4 1000. The podcast is also brought to you by 10 Point Crossbows, the leader in crossbow technology for over 25 years. The Hunt Stand Podcast is also brought to you by Moose Utility Division, your brand for all seasons. And finally, the Hunt Stand Podcast is brought to you by Savage Firearms. Better comes standard. First off, I want to know why. I love Snoop Dogg. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah. You like Snoop Dogg wine and everything? Huh? You have Snoop Dogg wine and everything? I'm thinking about getting that, uh, what's that new thing that he's been representing? I have no idea. Huh? Yeah, the Solo Stove. Oh, they got yeah. a the Solo Stove is, is he's I like, saw that. he's like, I quit smoking. <laughs> 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 like that's the first line of the ad. People are like, totally. oh, it got me. I was like, what? Yeah, right. No. Oh, you say geez. it isn't so. 
What's going on? Y'all ready to get this thing wrong? His lungs must be so torched. Oh. Snoopy dog? Yeah. Snoop doggy dog? Wasn't he Snoop Lion for a while? Oh, yeah. When That's he did that right. Wasn't he Snoop Lion? Yeah, he was Snoop Lion for a minute. I never actually heard that album. Well, we know what you're listening to on the way back. <laughs> Don't let me forget. <laughs> Snoop Lion. <laughs> Dude. Did any of you guys listen to it? No. I think I did. No. I never did it like did. with Damian Marley or something? I something. never did. I never, ever did. It's been so long. <clears throat> Since you've listened to rap or just Snoop in general? Just that. Just Snoop? Just that record. Just that record? Yeah, the Snoop Lion thing. Damn. So I remember I had to because like, I yeah. freaking love reggae. Which I didn't realize Josh was so into it until I started watching the Instagram stories. And I was the same way. Yeah. I didn't know he was into like Revolution and Stick Figure and all that until yeah. I saw like an Instagram story. I'm like, what the hell? So <laughs> you're into it too? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I started making electronic music because I listened to dub. Really? And I was like, how are these guys doing all these weird sounds? Because I had like played folk yeah. music and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, I started listening to that, and then I grew up hearing house music, because my sisters listened to it. It's the 90s, you know? Sheesh. So, kind of weird progression. Yeah. Well, for all the listeners out there, if y'all can't tell, we have started a podcast live here in Oklahoma. Am I sure to able to share and disclose our location? We're in a we're somewhere in the remote southwest. There you go. That's good. Now we're enough. in Oklahoma. We're here in the remote southwest Oklahoma with Bossman Josh Dalkey and guest Caleb Condit. And let's talk about what went down this week, guys. I mean, this is your first time out here to Oklahoma, correct, Caleb? To hunt, yes. To hunt. Yeah. And you've been out here before. In fact, this is where you got your first buck with a bow or first archery deer. Yeah, that was years back ago. in I think it was the fall of 2010 okay. with a different outfit, but in the same kind of region here, yeah. Red Dirt Country, just outside of Elk City and Cheyenne. It's all pretty familiar uh, and similar in terms of like how everything lays out. Yeah. Just kind of like subtle rolling hills and red dirt, a lot of clay in the soil. Yeah. And uh, every little every little piece of cover seems to have whitetails in oh, it. Oh, yeah. Let's uh Let's back up. I don't know when the planning happened between you two guys to get this hunt kind of rolling. So let's kind of back up the how, the why, and where the idea came about. I think we should back up even a step further. Even further? Yeah. Um, Instagram. It it has a – it's like any social media. It, can, it has a dark side, but it is what you make of it. Yeah. Um, so I was actually doing like a side business uh, – with trout fishing stuff and I believe you just randomly hit me up or something, right? You Through hit me up. I hit you up. Yeah, you hit me oh, up. Oh, that's right. You said that yes, because you yes. had seen a video I had made of, I filmed my buddy uh, Marco um, fly fishing in the Driftless. That's what it was. And you'd seen us in the Driftless and it was like pretty epic. All the snow's melting, so there was fog everywhere. Ooh. Yeah, he drove from Grinnell to Cedar Rapids, where I was at, stayed at my place. We tied some flies um, and then took off first thing in the morning, and we were driving out. And it's just, I mean, you can't ask for a more beautiful scene. And I think I had just seen that Scandinavian fly fishing film that has, like, really great voiceover Yeah, at the, that had come out at the same time. And 
was kind of inspired by it. So I kind of made something that was in that sort of vein and kept it kind of real. And there was some funny moments in it. And he catches at the end. I mean, like you couldn't plan it any better. Just the monster Brown. Jeez. He almost falls in the, like I almost fell into the water in the freezing cold. <laughs> he Crap. almost fell in the water. Like it was just, but it was fun. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. So at the time I was like, just trying to connect with all the trout fishermen in the Driftless area because that was kind of like the focus target audience of the business. Mm-hmm. And I saw what he was doing, and I was like, man, like, can I, like, send you a, a hat or something? Like, would, like yeah. I don't know. I was just trying to connect with different people, and I love the look of his work. And then one thing led to another. It went from that just BSing through DMs to – I honestly don't even know how it transpired from there. Yeah, I I saw you ha- were doing stuff with Hunt Stand and like just hit you up and asked you what that was about. And you're yeah. Like, you're like, man, let's just get on a phone call. We had been like DMing back and forth. And he's like, let's just get on a phone call. I want to like hear more about what your deal is. Yeah. And so we had like a two hour phone call. Yeah, I remember. Actually, I literally remember that call. Uh, because I was pacing around my house like I do when I'm oftentimes on long calls. <laughs> and I, c- I can literally remember I was, like, pacing around the living room talking to you, and then you told me your backstory about where you came from and then how you got into hunting. And I was just like, man, like, this is, like, you hear this whole, like, gravitation toward the hunting for the food yeah. thing that's been going on for, like, the last <clears throat> 10 years. And when you told me that story, like, I was like, man, this is like the perfect representation. But like, I knew that it was, it was super apparent that none of it from you was like contrived whatsoever. Like it was entirely authentic. I feel like a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon for that. Like, just like people do with anything. Yeah. And when you told me your story, I was like, man, this is super cool. So I actually... You need to, you need to bring us uh, starting in Chicago and what you had going on at that time, and sure, like give the lowdown on that because that's yeah. a huge part of the reason why we're here is to to share that story because it's really cool. Yeah, sure. for sure. So I'll just yeah, that's probably the, a good spot actually, Chicago, because everything else before that's like whatever you know I'm a grown up, but it, like in Chicago, um. You know, I'm living big city life. Yeah. I've got a really great group of friends, tons of friends, just like a big network. Um, I was playing like house music shows in my basement. People would, my buddy was like booking musicians mm-hmm. for Windish. So like we would throw after parties for like Pitchfork and stuff. Like one of my friends had a, a barbecue shutdown because Flying Lotus, who's massive like he's headlined freaking coachella and stuff like we were he was gonna play a barbecue that we we're gonna throw and the police called us <laughs> we're like listen you guys can't you can't do this <laughs> 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 so so i'm like they caught of, wind of it yeah they caught wind of it uh they were always trying to keep stuff from getting too crazy in chicago around pitchfork because like the after parties are yeah they get massive so like so i've got this whole circle of people around me who are like really into electronic music i'm making electronic music um, I've got some history in the past where, you know, growing up when I ran track, I kind of like just stopped eating meat during the middle of the day. And then we went to college. I wouldn't eat meat during the middle of the day cause I didn't want to throw up basically. at practice at practice. I know that feeling. Yeah, exactly. I, I was like, no feeling. milk, no meat. And I would just have like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. 
And so I had that experience. I go to college. The meat is verifiably like disgusting. So it's mystery meat. It's mystery meat. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like like steamed chicken breasts and stuff. And my mom was an incredible cook. So I was like, I can't eat this stuff. So through college, I just kind of like go back and forth, just not really intentionally becoming a vegetarian, but just like not really. And then I got kind of more into it because more people are talking about the ethics of food. And um, my sister married a vegan. Um, he's like a conservative black ambient piano player vegan. He makes no sense. He's mm -hmm. amazing. I love <laughs> <laughs> he's like one of my favorite people because he's just truly his own self. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I have people in my life that I see living, you know, a, a plant-based diet on some level. Yeah. And I get kind of inspired by it. <laughs> and when I was living in Chicago, I had some friends who, you know, were like really, really into the, the whole thing. And so I was like, I'll give it a shot again. And, and it was fine for a bit, but man, I just, I just didn't feel as good, you know? And when I moved back, I was trying to figure out where to go next after Chicago. I yeah. got like super burnt out with work. I was doing some really big, you know, commercial photography productions mm -hmm. and stuff. And so I was like, I'm just going to take some months off and camp in Iowa. And Rebecca, my wife, um, was flying as a flight attendant. Yeah. So she would fly to Minneapolis. She'd get off. We'd camp. And, you know, it kind of started actually, I was thinking about this last night when you we were asking about stuff that the, it kind of started with me catching a trout we with her, with her. Yeah. And I was on a hike and I, I was, I looked at a, a pocket of water and I was like, that looks like really like, I bet there's a trout there. Yeah. That looks fishy. And I cast a spinner in first cast trout hits it. We take it back to the campsite, cook it, with I sliced up apples and put apples on the inside like my dad always did and it's just a little bit of dill and it tastes so good a little butter and for her it was kind of this also this really beautiful experience she had never seen a trout she had never eaten a trout mm -hmm. and so we kind of bonded outdoors doing this thing and it involved you know killing a fish yeah and it we just had these conversations about like how meaningful that that was right being a part of the process of our own food and, you know, we're spending more time in nature. We're spending more time helping my parents garden when we're hanging out there. And we got the idea to butcher a couple of lambs because the neighbors had some. I was talking to my mom about all this stuff. She's like, you know, you guys should just butcher a couple of lambs. The Barcalos always have a huge herd. Mm -hmm. They'll sell you a couple. I think it was 45 bucks an animal or something. Wow. And so they helped us butcher. And, you know, it was an eye-opening experience. I saw some stuff that I was like, this is super cool. And some of it, I was like, I would maybe if I, if it was my own thing, I would maybe change a couple of things. And so that kind of got me inspired to figure out, you know, what was next, mm -hmm. you know? And before I know it, like I'm foraging a bunch because like the fishing was actually blown out for a whole summer. It was just raining like crazy. Couldn't summer. even get to the river. So I streams. found my first morels, found my first puff balls, oyster mushrooms, you know, all this stuff's kind of building Dang. where I'm, eating fish i'm starting to forage i see a uh, meat eater on tv yep. and i start to see hunters that like maybe share my ethics mm -hmm. and that for me like culturally coming from what i was at where i was at in chicago i was like well this is cool like here's a whole universe of people 
who maybe I saw a lot of other people like I grew up around kind of like homesteading parents who had a big garden and stuff. Yeah. I started seeing people who like reminded me of people that I grew up with mm-hmm. and people who kind of had a similar perspective. And I was like, this is super cool. Like this person and I maybe would never meet and and become best friends. But if we started talking about this stuff, we'd have a connection over yeah. the food. Mm-hmm. And uh then I go to a uh, foraging and archery class uh, to take pictures for a local newspaper. And I shot a bow and instantly was just like, this is amazing. It felt so good. Like the focus part of it mm-hmm. for my ADD brain was like, <laughs> like this is, it's like yoga with projectiles, right? It's therapeutic. Like, yeah. You have to breathe. You have to focus. You have to hold it. You have to like be really intentional. Yeah. And I liked that part of it. The intentionality was, I think feel like this is yeah. a thread yeah. for me, you know? kind of so, connected at all yeah yeah I, I i had gotten to the place to where i i felt like i was burnt out and i was trying to be more intentional about my life so i could be happy mm-hmm. you know being un, like not just like going th- with the flow so long without like really interjecting to like take control of my life damn um you know it just wasn't a good place it was dark you know i had a moment in chicago i was telling you guys about this last night where you know growing up wading wade fishing rivers with my mm-hmm. dad you know water was this thing that was therapeutic mm-hmm. and it makes you feel like when you're standing in water you're like in nature like enveloped by it you know you feel the temperature you feel the little minnows nibbling on your knees and stuff that's pretty good. and uh like i was in the shower and the water's rushing over me and i was having a rough moment and like i just started crying like yeah. the water just like hit me in this way where i was just like wow i I need more nature. So this was like what led up to like me leaving Chicago. So anyways, forge archery in class, the, I shoot a bow instinctively. I'm shooting really well too. Mm -hmm. So it just, it was that little bit of confidence, just like just enough to say like, well, you should give this a second shot. And it was right before my birthday. And Rebecca got me a bow from a pawn shop an old nineties Browning. And (laughs) heck yeah. Strangely enough is the right draw length. Heck yeah. Yeah, she got it. Probably not even thinking. Not about, even like, knowing. It's like, a, oh, it's it, just it, a bow. It was probably a half inch short. You know. Did it have like the square side on it with the old oh. brass pins on it? Oh yeah. Yes, and oh, like yeah. the prong for the yeah. metal prongs. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, super old school sight. Yeah. I had one. I had I think the same bow that my uncle handed down no to me. Way. Not kidding. Yeah. Mine was a Browning as well. Yeah. But I kind of kitted it out a little different once right. I got it. Is that what you did? So I mean, I just used the arrows that i had with it at first i had my rest set up weird it took me five or six trips to the range and nobody wanted to help me so i got to figure stuff out even i even went to some of the supposedly good shops in in the area around cedar rapids and iowa city and they took me going to fin and feather Mm -hmm. in iowa city before someone like really could help me figure out what was going on with my with my whole setup and then I got some arrows made. I got some decent arrows because I was realizing I needed to have all the same ones. Yeah. And I got some small game tips first because I thought I was going to shoot a, a rabbit. The little prong, the yeah. little claw ones. The judo, cl- yeah, I the judo claws. Them, I still have them. I have some. I, I keep I have, them for that exact reason. But I have the original ones that I bought. Oh, crap. <laughs> like, I don't know how I haven't lost them because I've shot a few <laughs> squirrels with them. Jeez. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of got good enough to where I could hit a – five inch circle at mm-hmm. 15, 20 yards. And, um, there was a, there was a kid who I met fishing Antonio. I totally forgot about this dude until like really? a few months ago. 
um, he saw me cast netting for uh, for Shad to go catfishing. He's like, hey, you you like to fish? Whatever. It's just someone who just wanted a friend. Yeah. And he was my he was my first hunting buddy, and you know, um, the first few sits that I did when I went out in Iowa, like I I parked my car the first time I went out to deer hunt, and where I was hunting had was flooded. You know, from that previous summer, it was mm-hmm. still the water was really up. It's got a river bottom going through it, and it's just three quarters of that whole river bottom was full of water. So all the deer were just pushed in. Because I was trying to figure out why I saw so many, like, really great deer that first year. Yeah. And they're just all pushed into a really skinny strip up next to the ag. And, you know, I get out of my car, Mm -hmm. and I just see a bruiser 10-point sticking his head out of some trees. Jeez. And I I was coming back from just, like, walking around and scouting, getting back to my car, and... I'm just on the other side of the gravel road. I see this deer just sticking his head out and I just like get down and I've got my bow just drawn. I mean, first sit and I'm going to shoot this monster. Like, Jeez. and some lady comes just tearing out of the woods with a couple of big mastiffs that she was walking through the conservation area. What? <laughs> Screaming. That deer just took off. Ugh. The second sit, I put myself in a ground blind way too tight, so I couldn't even turn to shoot this mm-hmm. buck, and I had a buck just sitting on the ground, just, like, walk right by me, and I just, I couldn't turn on, and I probably couldn't have drew on this one. He was too close, and it just, I just felt like I couldn't shoot him. I just didn't have it in me at that moment. Yeah. And then a couple more sits on the ground with just a stool, and on, uh, facebook in one of the iowa deer hunting groups um i was asking some questions and some guy the guy was talking he realized i was a new hunter mm-hmm. and he sent me a dm he's like because i was talking about ground hunting and he was like hey do you have a tree stand and i was like no he's like well i've got one i'm upgrading i'll give you one he gave me a lone wolf climber no that kidding. someone sold him for you know 45 50 bucks and so that was my first tree stand and it got me up in the tree and uh my boy scout leaders private property so we went there and the first time i had a deer that i drew on and i shot at was from that stand and i was wearing such a big down coat yeah that i'd never practiced and i didn't even think that it might not work yeah and it yep. did not work it just string slapped my sleeve so bad oh. and she was 10 yards away and my arrow was off by th- like three it just went straight under her and this was like a i mean to the corner of the tent sort of closed. I was like, how did I miss? And I shot again and did the same thing. It was so frustrating. So that, yeah, that for being a, getting back into, you know, growing up in small town, Iowa, you know, you'd talk to us, you know, learn like you going out in the field and stuff. And we talked about how you had that red bow for a long time. And, but then like going from that frustration like that, I want to know, what I'm eager to hear about is your first year. Yeah. That. After kind of going through this whole transition, like after that, like, yeah. Tell us about that. Like, so I went back to that same spot because mm-hmm. I was going to hunt the morning and just see what the herd was doing. Then I'd never hunted the morning and 
my tweak for my sleeve to make it smaller, I took a, glo- a mitten that I had, just like a, or no, it was an old wool sock. Yeah. Cut, cut that off it, and I just slid it yep. over my Your left. Your arm sleeve? Yeah, yeah. I just made an arm sleeve out of, out of a wool sock. <laughs> I've done that. I've done that. <laughs> really? Yeah. I did that before because I used to have the same freaking issue when I was a kid because I'd always yeah. get slapped because my bow was not the right draw length. Oh, uh, see, that my dad was like, had something to do with it. My dad goes, just go get a wool sock. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just cut, cut it off at the heel and put it on your arm. And it worked. Sure as shit, it worked. It worked great. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I, I bust out all those deer and, yeah. like, it's that hunt was over. I mean, mm-hmm. they just, they when they would, if you bust a deer out at this spot, they would take off into the trees and. They'd be on the neighbor's property, and it was just a small Damn. little section that I could hunt. And um, so I had scouted some public that I was thinking about going on to, yeah. just like e-scouting. And I had seen a a CRP field with an oak flat just towards the river that had all these ravines that this really great system that just like went downhill down to the river, and there was a big pond and more CRP and a bunch of ag right there. And I always would see deer on that corner there, like milling around at last mm-hmm. light. Whenever you, we would drive to, there was like a, a river put in and a gun range down there. We used to drive through there all the time. We always saw deer there. So I was like, you know, I should go look. I've already busted out the deer. What can go wrong? I'm yeah. just going to, just going to walk in. Yeah. So I just kind of slowly made my way along the edge and I had a really cheap, pair of binos i picked up from a pawn shop you know i think i paid 15 bucks for get the them. job done dude i could see further it yeah. worked and i had a canon camera strap on them because that's what i had you know it's like this whole hunting rig was super piecemeal it's great mm-hmm. and so i get to the back corner of the field and i i glass in and i and i see antlers i can tell a buck's bedded with a doe and i was like well i've seen people in hunting shows stock in on animals i'm gonna do my best to just go as slow as i can yeah and just took a step or two every few seconds i'd wait for the wind to blow and take a couple more steps and Mm -hmm. just try to have that pace of a deer and you know i was watching tons of youtube to try to just absorb as much information listen to podcasts so you know i picked up some stuff like that and so i get to where i have a good angle of what looked like the trail they would use to go into the woods. Mm-hmm. And I put, just put my knee down so I could be below the grass. And I had a twig right there. <laughs> so it cracks. They hear something, but they don't smell me. The wind's in my face. Yeah. They can't see me. They take off into the woods and we blow back and forth five times. Cause I'd seen people do this. And I was like, well, pretend I'm a deer best possible. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was over the moon. Cause this deer was blowing back at me, you know, it just like, communicating when you're calling an animal you know it's communicating back it's i don't know it feels like you're god or something you're tricking them you're just tricking reality it doesn't make any sense yeah so i see some antlers waving back in the corner and i because i'm waiting for this buck to come back and i figured it was that buck because it was a different spot it was further back i was like it would make sense for him to kind of come around there i mean it doesn't make sense now because that would have been even further upwind he would have gone yeah. the other way but in my mind it was the same buck so i follow that little game trail through that tall grass as much as i can and kind of stay low and mm-hmm. those antlers keep staying in the same place and they're just thrashing and i'm like this doesn't make any sense <laughs> i've got an arrow knocked just ready to, to shoot this deer and i step out and i look and i realize i should just step fully out because there's a deer on its 
back or yeah. on its side, just like tangled up in some brush and some whatever else. He had a hole in his leg from fighting with the other buck. Oof. The antlers later, you know, I mean, you rattled with them. There's nothing left on them. There's like half the tines are gone. Um, just big bruiser. And I waited for him to stand up, took a shot. And that first one did go through. I found out later by the time, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know what I'm doing. So I see this buck run up a little bit and lay down and I knock another arrow. I'm just like, he doesn't look like he's dead. He didn't flop. He didn't kick. He didn't kick because his front leg was really, really messed up. I messed up later. Bad. I don't know. He's just kind of like kept doing this limp mm-hmm. thing. And so he stands up again and I'm like going to take a shot. And the minute I take a shot, he limps and ducks the arrow, Ugh. which is weird. So I'm now down to two arrows. Yeah. He runs to the edge of the ravine to this little point, and I kind of hold back and slowly creep in. But it's probably – he probably still had my wind even where he was at when I think about it now. So he kind of knows I'm there. He stands up, and I put have my other arrow, so I draw back. I'm going to – finish this animal that was just my instinct at that moment like when i saw that first deer like something clicked yeah i just felt like i was doing the thing that i was made to do like the thing i was supposed to do always Mm -hmm. like it was such a weird revelation it was just like this heightened sense of purpose comfort just like laser focus yeah sharp like everything every detail yeah it was and i wasn't thinking i was just acting Almost mm-hmm. is how it felt. So I missed that. I have one arrow left. He rolls down the hill because he's trying to step forward and stumbling and stuff. Poor thing. Just, you know. Yeah. Falls to the bottom of the ravine. Um, and I take my time, creep into the edge of the ravine, look down, and I'm like, you know, if this deer keeps moving, I got to just use this last arrow on him. He's only 20 yards away. Yeah. I'm ranging him. And... He's kind of in a position where I, I was like, I could probably hit him in the heart from here. This is close enough. So I draw back and take another shot. And he, it was right at the moment when he had that little momentum to roll over because he was kind of on his back. I was just like, I can shoot him upside down. It's mm-hmm. still a broadside shot. So he rolls over and the arrow sticks in the dirt and he runs off and goes and lays behind a tree. I'm just freaking out. I'm like, man, am I going to have one of these stories where my deer just dies in the woods and the coyotes eat it or something that yeah. was like the worst case scenario for yeah. me because the whole reason i wanted to do it was i wanted the meat yeah absolutely i wanted this process i had seen people like dry aging deer and mm-hmm. stuff i was like i want to try this mm-hmm. so i sneak my my way down the ravine after about 20 minutes of letting him hang out there and that way i can be in close enough to take a shot if i need to that yeah. was what my brain i knew now that I probably should have pulled out after that first shot, but yeah. I was in. He wasn't running, running, so I was like, "I'm gonna do this." Yeah. So, knock an arrow, and after another 15 or so, after I was sitting down there, he stood up and shot him right in the heart. Blood flies out of his mouth. Whatever you could just tell, it was done. The final thing, and yeah, yeah, and it felt like. I mean, it's kind of emotional. The first one that mm-hmm. you kill, if you do it as an adult, it's people always talk about it. Like if you did it as a kid, you know, you're kind of desensitized to it a little bit. You become accustomed to it. But for me, it was like, it was like almost 
borderline traumatic in a sense because it was such a new experience. Yeah. I'm by myself. Yeah. You know, so, but it, in a good way, it, like, helped me grow and, like, understand something. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't have, I didn't have a cool pack or anything to get the deer out. I didn't have any, anybody to help me. I called my dad. I called Antonio. I called another friend who was a deer hunter that I kind of grew up with. I hadn't talked to a whole lot, but mm-hmm. everyone's at work, you know, it's like it was a Wednesday at, in the morning when I happened to have a little time to go, to go do this. So, you know, everyone's busy. So I was like, well, I've got some twine in my pocket and I'm going to look up. I had seen a video on how to quarter out a deer and mm-hmm. found a good video. And it looked like the shoulders were the fastest, quickest thing. So I took the shoulders first and tied the twine in between the, the feet, threw it over my shoulders, walked back to my car and got more grocery sacks and more <laughs> twine. Just like balanced, you know, stuff the back haunches and back strap and grocery sacks and kept the heart and the tongue and yeah. just tried to get as much as I could. Dude, hearing that and then seeing, you know, hearing you talk about like not knowing really what to do. Mm-hmm. Let me back up a second. How, how many years ago was this? Five. Okay. Five years ago. Hearing you do that and then watching you with that knife out here on, on your deer and yeah. Josh's deer the past two days, like, yeah. I learned a lot on yeah. what can be done. Like just watching you from that transition from that yeah. or hearing from where you went to where, what I just watched, it's like amazing. I mean, like going from that moment to let's say now, right? Yeah. Like yeah. a lot of this stuff was self-taught. Like, oh, yeah, wasn't it? Like teaching, like, oh, yeah. teaching yourself, like what to do with the different cuts of meat and everything. Like how much of the meat did you take off that first deer? Was it just kind of like is quarters or you picked everything it was, off? Cause it was, it was, qu- I didn't get a, all the ribs i ended up cutting one side of ribs off and just carried it in my hand yeah because i wanted to try yeah cooking it but i couldn't i i was really out of shape it mm-hmm. took me three hours to get all that meat out of the woods just carrying it yeah so yeah tenderloins back straps tongue heart like, all of it i don't think i got the neck roasts which mm-hmm. i'm looking at now and shaking my head at my old self like damn it because <laughs> that stuff's so good yeah um i think that was the only thing i left in the woods dude was the neck roast um i think i made it maybe got a little bit off of one and it was just so confusing why it was so dang hard to get off there i just kind of just kind of gave up because you have to know a a proper method and to get the antlers off Mm -hmm. i happen to have a japanese pole saw that you use for like carpentry yeah you know i'm talking about i think i do they're like a double-sided like rectangular blade yeah long handle yeah i had one of those in my car because i was doing woodworking with my dad that's right and so I carried that down there and I sawed the antlers off because I didn't know how to do a year or any. That just all sounded. Like you sawed them off at the bases, not like a skull cap or anything? Yeah, just right okay. off the bases. Okay. I didn't know about skull caps or any of that stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm just kind of like, well, I want to keep the antlers. Yeah. <laughs> so, and that's what I use for my rattling antlers to this day, you know? like Which Josh used. Yeah, which Josh used. We watched it. And they worked? They did. Well, yeah, I mean, uh. I'm really actually surprised that deer ended up shooting. I don't know if he was in the in the zip code at that point, but right. he was a a warrior. So I wonder if he uh, was just lazier if he wasn't around. Because I thought for sure we would have rattled something up, but yeah, just didn't quite pan out. But there is one thing I I do want to get back to yeah. that I just think it'd be interesting to hear about. Like full full disclosure, what was your 
like view on hunting and hunters and what was the kind of if there was a a majority view of the people you were hanging with at the time in Chicago mm-hmm. like what was the what what did that look like could i be Honest. Your, could i be super straight yes, yes absolutely stupid racist douchebags you know what i mean yeah. just mean stupid yep. killing animals ignorant running, rednecks I- ignorant rednecks shooting guns you know what i mean like just the worst cuz people would talk about like trophy hunting yeah ding dongs you know like that's just like that was that was the way that people were perceiving it and that's what was so phenomenal when i saw some things where i could see that i was wrong yeah right that for me was like a a relief almost Mm -hmm. because like i i want to see the good in people right and some of the people who hunted with that that i went to like school with in elementary school and stuff all those guys were the people who made the most fun of me Mm -hmm. they were all the people who were dropping the n-word at school like i just they were never like the people i wanted to hang out with i had one uncle who was who was really great and i had some friends who went to another school and they were pretty cool but it was just like i had some you know how mean kids will leave you with bad stupid oh yeah oh yeah yeah. so i had some of that to get over you know it's like my own hang-ups it's not reality Mm -hmm. you know a lot of this stuff isn't reality like it's I, i feel like humans just need to meet each other yeah oh it's and, it's and figure out what they have in common thousand percent it's man. just the it's the same exact thing as social media now it's yeah, it's, it's not dumb. reality it at all whatsoever but uh it's it's funny because we have like we have some kind of like strange uh similar like sort of connections and one of them is uh mine is kind of similar with the, the whole high school thing because like i was always a really pretty eclectic person and you are too and so like i was in like punk bands and i skateboarded and i also like listening to like hardcore rap music and i loved hunting ever since i was a kid so like uh when i would hunt in junior high and high school and whatnot and once i finally got to an age where i could actually like go out and hunt with friends or like have at the time i'm like my mom would have to go drop me off at public land spots to go duck hunt and then like pick me up after dark mm-hmm. and uh there were only like a couple dudes who from that circle who accepted me and would would even hunt with me the rest of them were just like they just like they did they, they, it actually i think like annoyed them mm-hmm. that you they're like what do you mean like Dude, you're a skateboarder you're not a hunter take your pick like yeah. you can't have both yeah that in that area you couldn't there wasn't room for it. Yeah. You had to like no. pick, you had to pick a thing. And I was like, well, I, I I like all the things. Yeah, why can't I just do the stuff I want? And yeah. it's funny because like I look back now and it's like my whole career and lifestyle now revolves around yeah. hunting and it has for a long time. Sure. And it would just it would just be kind of funny to see the look on some of those people's faces like we're all kids, you know. So everybody's changed obviously. Yeah. Or I think most people have hopefully. Mm-hmm. But like yeah, it's just the irony of it like here i am like trying to you know launch my skateboard off stairs and and grind ledges and stuff during the week and then go duck hunting during the weekend and uh, i was always kind of like in this weird in-between spot until people finally like grew up and then you know then you you meet different friends and things change like when you get more towards college age but right. yeah that's that's funny that uh you kind of had that similar 
experience, except yours was just like you you had a bad taste in your mouth. So you're yeah. like, I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I don't want to be like them. Exactly. I don't want to be like those assholes. Did yeah. you have a bad taste in your mouth? Was that your own perception, or do you think it's because of the people you were hanging around in Chicago? Oh, yeah, so sure. I mean, I had had my experiences when I grew up mm-hmm. with some people who were, like, not nice. Yeah. So I had that. And then, you know, you think about that time period. It was, like, 2011, 2012, and it yeah. was just so much of this, like, the only way that hunting was was perceived was it was literally just the Africa trophy hunting thing. Yep. And there was like zero context to it, which yeah. now I have a totally different feeling about all that stuff too. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a management technique for a lot of places in Africa and the, mm-hmm. if it's if it's legally done, the majority of it is actually benefiting the the local populations and the wildlife. It does. You know. It does. And so like but you don't hear that story. No, you just see the bad part of it. Right. You just see the bad part of it. Yeah. Like, you you listen to uh, the guy who shot that that black rhino, and he did a, a NPR podcast, and he talked about it. They wanted mm-hmm. to talk to him. And he talked about how he was, like, somebody who had just put in at an auction to put in money to try to get the numbers up so even more would go to conserving the black rhinos. Mm-hmm. So he's like, there was one there was one rhino that needed to be culled. They're like, we're going to cull this regardless. This animal needs to be taken. Let's see if we can generate a bunch of money. And his friend's like, you're a baller. Why don't you just get the numbers up? Yeah. And you can afford to if you get it. Yeah. He's like, cool. So he puts in just an absurd amount of money. And then he gets it. Mm -hmm. And then he's like, well, I'm going to go do this hunt that I'm just not even really that interested in doing. (laughs) He wasn't trying to. Yeah. He goes and does it. And um, because it's his his thing he's got to do and then you know he gets threatened his family gets yeah, threatened he gets crucified he gets totally crucified and yeah. you just hear this guy talking about yeah. the experience of the how, the trauma of like his his daughter you know mm-hmm. like he's that's the context he's putting in he's like the person i want to protect most in this world is getting like hazed basically. hazed because i was trying to do a good thing yeah right yeah. and and i feel like that was such a it was such a cool thing to hear that story and i feel like at that point you know you think about Maybe that was around 20. That was around the time that I started hunting that I actually heard that podcast, though. Yeah. And I just feel like there was a little bit of shifting that happened mm-hmm. because there was a, a little bit more conversation around what hunting actually meant to other people. It just yeah. was starting. It was just a trickle at that yeah. point still. But No, I, I definitely agree. And it's unfortunate that we that we deal with stuff like that in the industry and, you know, the hate and everything, but it's just, it's, it's so, it's, it's, it's actually laughable because like you're, it is, you're talking about like one of the oldest things of all mankind and like clearly scientifically proven what made us human. Yeah. And it's like, it's really not even debatable. It's just, it's just not, I mean, no, no, and it's it's to for me I'm far enough along and doing this and like the story that you just heard like I you know I've seen this stuff transpire and I I pay really close attention to attention to it and like the stuff that happened with Cecil the lion and all the stuff that makes major national headlines and then even down to the the medium and smaller stuff that a lot of people don't hear about but I I keep a pretty close finger on the on the pulse of all that and it's like man it's uh it's to the point where it's like offensive to me because these people who are kicking and screaming about this it, you in the end you always realize that it is just 
complete ignorance and yeah. a mix of ignorance and emotion. Yes. And it's all right to it's all right to be passionate and have emotion about something we all do and a yeah. lot of times it's not necessarily rational but like man it's it's pretty important to be educated about one of the greatest resources we have on the earth and that's wildlife. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we're just fortunate that through our pursuit of them we get a closer connection to it than anybody possibly could on every level. Like it's, it's a, I feel, I feel sorry for people who don't get to experience that. Yeah. At least once, you know, it doesn't mean you have to, you don't, not, not everybody should be a hunter or has to be a hunter. And frankly, it wouldn't be sustainable at all. Um, it'd be a disaster, but for somebody who never even gets an opportunity to experience and see half the things that we do, that's, it's kind of, kind of a bummer. It is. Well, it is. I, I think that that was part of my inspiration to want to talk about it publicly, though, and put stuff on my Instagram. And I talked to you about wanting to do some wild game recipes with the chef that was one of my clients, Sam from Rodina, which they just closed. They moved I saw that. and reopening somewhere else. Yeah, I But follow. Sam was just like this amazing cook. And in the, res- in the restaurant itself, mm-hmm. they would serve things like emu carpaccio and they got a lot of really great sustainable local foods and we're doing bycatch fishes so they were serving interesting stuff already and i was like what do you think about doing like a a few recipes with me and like kind of sharing like why this is special and like kind of allowing more people to to be involved with it like i feel like humans need permission we need to have examples of people who kind of like look like us to feel like we belong in a sense you know, someone who thinks like us or talks like us or has like, we just have some sort of connection where we're like, oh, they're my kind of people. So I guess it's okay to think about this, yeah. you know? And, and that's like a, I mean, that's something we see a lot of right now, yeah. you know, like people are trying to make sure that everybody feels like they have a place because, you know, like as this is one of the oldest traditions known to humans, it's like, yeah. this isn't a, a tradition that's limited to one no. sliver of humanity. It's like all of humanity advanced with hunting yeah and a bunch of cool <laughs> dogs <laughs> yeah <is>. like <laughs> it is so the food thing yeah that you just briefly touched on sure um obviously you do the vast majority of the wild game recipes for hunt stand um and anybody who's listening you can find those we'll put it in the show notes but also um just go to huntstand.com the field notes section um you can find all of his work there but is it accurate that your photography career which ultimately transpired into your your niche that you carved out was food photography mm-hmm. is that how all that came together You're, you got all this inspiration from these people you were working with next thing you know like well, i want to cook too i'm not just going to take photos and i hunt yeah. i have this great stuff to work with is that how it worked it well i mean i'd been already really diving in on cooking pretty hardcore well, yeah, because you dry-aged your first deer, right? Got, yeah, Which is ridiculous. Yeah, first, like, first deer I dry-aged for unbelievable. 20 days on my dad's back porch, and I no created a perfect balanced ecosystem where there was cold air coming in the window. It was an unheated porch, so there was like a, a breeze that would come in. I put a tarp around it to keep it dark, and then a little warmth from the house kept it from freezing. Yeah. And I just put a thermometer out in a glass of water just to test the temperature, and it was just it stayed right around you know, the, where I needed it to. And I only stopped aging the back hams because it was going to get warm for like a few days. No kidding. So I had to pull it out. Dude. Um, 
That was a big first deer. Yeah, I know. It was a big deal though. Wow. I I I feel like you know, food and cooking. When I lived in Spain for a bit, that was really a huge inspiration for me. I I saw a lot of cool foods that were three ingredients and just the process and the care and the attention to detail and the quality of ingredient elevated all that food. It 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 was literally just somebody having like a really good idea and a really good technique and a really good ingredient and they could make you a meal that would just I don't know, unparalleled sort of food. Man. So it made that really inspired me and then mm-hmm. I worked in a restaurant for a year and a half as a server and the chefs there were super cool yeah. I was just curious because yeah. I'm a curious person I mean there's no way I would learn about hunting what I did in the amount of time that I did if I wasn't like I get obsessed yeah, and I hyper focus and I just read and I listen to podcasts and I consume just tons of media just to mm-hmm. learn everything I can so I did that with, with cooking when I worked at that restaurant and like it was a place I had my first oyster they flew oysters in from France that was what? my first oyster like it was it was insane Dude. so I, I yeah I had some good food experiences I think my first oyster was at a <laughs> a sports bar in right. Abilene Texas <laughs> right like a dollar and, oyster and it was fried <laughs> and then it. then we had some fresh ones but I was like this can't be what it's it's supposed are to you, be are you <laughs> sure it's supposed to be snot in a piece of stone uh, with hot sauce just like doused on this thing or horseradish put a bunch of beer down afterwards yeah I love them though now it's, yeah that first one was a little weird but it was Gosh. also kind of tasty. But yeah, I mean, I and I had a really good friend in college who was like worked in a really high end kitchen uh, in Wisconsin, mm-hmm. kind of outside Milwaukee before he became my roommate in college. So seeing him cook was really inspiring. I was terrible at first. You know, yeah. I couldn't cook beans barely. You know, it was just I was just bad at it. And just little by little, just kind of how the times have changed. Yeah, man. How the times have changed. <laughs> when did you start? slinging a camera oh when i was like 12 i was taking pictures for a mm-hmm. yearbook and then pictures of my friends took a couple people's senior pictures sort of thing where were you uh so were you did you guys have a photography business rolling when you're in chicago or what were you i doing? did okay i did i was a i had my own commercial photography business um in spain and in chicago and shot like bands fashion and then i started getting into food and i was like kind of resisting it because i felt like it's what you do when you get too old to be cool or something photography (laughs) no uh, photography photography. i was like this is what you do when you're when you're too old to hang out with cool bands (laughs) (laughs) it's probably true i mean you know i don't want to i don't want to ruin the vibe how old are you now i'm 44 okay okay yeah i was wondering yeah so you know just just old enough that if I go to a show, I like to bring my, my wife with me so I'm not, like, seen as, like, the old dude trying to pick up some, like, young chicks or something. <laughs> 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 but, uh, yeah, I mean, the the wild game cooking, I mean, for me, it became one of these things where I wanted to share the experience with other people yeah. who hadn't tried it and so like i had some friends who were really into the idea of trying this mm-hmm. deer that i had put all this care into my buddy julius who's like a personal trainer yeah he lived in Colo- in colorado this mm-hmm. guy was awesome so I, he was one of the first people i cooked for and it was like i'd been testing the back strap to see how long it would take until it would be like the tenderness i wanted so i had one in just like this little beer fridge 
and I would just cut off like an inch of it and cook it each day. And once I got to about day three, it was starting to taste kind of good. I was like, you should just come over. I'll just, I'll cook some up and we'll make a little meal. And I had some dried, uh, foraged morels and I had some ramps and I had some venison and I had some like hot sauce Mm -hmm. from some peppers from my parents' garden and some sweet potatoes and a couple other things. And I just made this little dish that was, it was really special. And like, we had this really cool lunch and it inspired such a phenomenal conversation that, you know, I was like, I need to do this more. You know, I need to share this meal because people were really curious about me hunting too. So it, it was a mo. It was like yeah. a good moment for people to ask me of what that felt like, or and they were all like, "Hey, if you ever have any extra, yeah, I'll take some." Yeah, exactly. See, and I think that's so important, like especially just like, I mean, yeah, you and I've been doing this a while, but like seeing, like hearing and seeing your story and like doing stuff like that, like that's important because, you know, you've got friends that don't do it, and like showing them that like, you harvested that animal, yep. processed it, took care of it. Now I want to share that with y'all. And so now I would imagine that some of them probably tasted that. And now you may have got some people into hunting just from this whole thing. Have you or? Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I've gotten people who more importantly to be empathetic who Mm -hmm. don't hunt. I feel like that's like as important as anything. Yeah. Because like you said, not everybody's going to hunt. Not everybody has the temperament for it. Yeah. Not not everyone's built for it. No. I don't think emotionally. No. It's like a big, it's a big thing, especially if you haven't grown up with it. I, I, I think it's, I think it's a lot, but if you can make somebody understand why you do it Mm -hmm. and what it means to you, like every meal that I make from the game that I've killed, is like a totem pole of like respect in remembrance yes. of this beautiful creature that yeah. is feeding like it i just don't see any, any other way to look at it like that's just well, how i feel well i mean i i can relate with you so much on that because like last night after you cooked those elk steaks like i was sitting in the corner right there and like the whole time and i'm sure logan can relate but yeah. i'm just sitting there eating it like it took me back to that mountain right like getting Absolutely. that elk back like it took me back to the moment and then just like eating, it, it's like man, yeah. It was just like this full circle thing, right? It was. Then you're just like when you were talking about standing there and just yeah, not even being able to talk. Yeah, you're just processing the kill. It's like yeah, it's it's no words. I mean, it, it was a special moment. It really was, man. Yeah. I mean, I I think uh, I I told you or may not have told you this, but like I know I told Josh like. I've seen guys like on TV shows like they get real emotional and like I didn't understand that. Yeah. Like, you know, I was emotional with my first deer sure. and was you know, you're excited and you've got like this adrenaline rush, adrenaline dump, everything, but like I never got like uh super emotional. Yeah. But like, you know, just as well as yeah. you know, elk hunting is a tough thing. It's like after doing it for three years and then finally Yeah getting it done, like I had nothing to say. Yeah. Like I was just sitting there soaking it all in yeah. the whole time. All the disappointment that you were carrying with you. Yeah. From all the failure, you know? Yeah. It's like when that drips off, like when I shot a buck in Missouri finally. Yeah. Because I've been there for three years and struggling on public land, man. It's just been rough. It's a grind. It's a real grind. And I only have a day here and there to do it most yeah. of the time. 
and I finally shot, and it was a forky, man, but it's huge bodied. The forks are massive. Can't it's, eat the antlers. I know, but it, it, but I, well, I'm saying this as like it has nothing to do with what kind of buck it is at mm-hmm. all. It was just I had shot. It was like a goal of mine, mm-hmm. and man, did that feel like a weight, dude? Because it was something I just was, I had just been trying for, and I found this new spot that like I just love it. It's awesome. <laughs> it's like that dark cloud is gone when you finally totally. do it. Oh, dude, it's it's there's no there's no better feeling. I I don't think there's any. I don't know. Obviously, extremely biased, but I don't think there's a single goal on earth that you can set that has so many different levels of reward when you finally accomplish it right. yeah. than taking an animal. I mean, namely a, a big game animal, um, like. <sighs> Because there's just there's just so many layers of satisfaction, and when when it when it comes together, like mm-hmm. the whole comprehensive experience, and like we were talking about standing by the by the meat pole earlier, like every little phase of the process hits you just a little bit differently. Yeah. Like and I was telling you earlier how I just love like we're talking about all the ways that you can speed up breaking down a deer and different tools or techniques that you can use to make it faster and all that yeah i don't get me wrong sometimes i just want to get it done i got to get on the road whatever but most of the time like today dude is there is there a faster way i could have broke down that deer yeah there's a lot of different faster more efficient ways but for me like sitting there skinning a deer is like one of my favorite things on earth and that's just like one small part of the whole process Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i'm talking Mm -hmm. about just that single act of skinning the deer. I'm not talking about comprehensively the whole butchering process. I'm talking about just that one little part of it, skinning it and, feel, and feeling your knife work against that as you're, as you're just peeling it down. Like, man, there's just something about it that I get. It just hits hits you in different feels. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, it, and once you're coming back for more too, like yeah. you want to go back for more. Yeah, it's it's like yeah you just you just you just want to keep repeating it and repeating it but you know it's not like a there's no magic button to just press every single time it's going to be a process usually it's going to be a challenge yeah sometimes you might go out there and get lucky but that's also why i look at it like a very comprehensively yeah. um for me i kind of divide it like okay turkeys deer and then like other stuff is a little bit more like one off, mm-hmm. but like I might go out and shoot a turkey opening day in the first half hour, and I don't think of it like that. I think about oh, oh, how about the thirty-seven days I went out last year at the end of the season and never ended up shooting one. Like I'm actually on day thirty-eight right now. I'm not on. I'm not on day one in the first half hour. Like it's a comprehensive deal. So yeah, I don't know. Speaking of. uh animals and animals that we've been working on here in camp i think we should i think we should talk about the hunt i was gonna say i wanted to transition into the hunt because i know we're getting slim on time here have a water you got it thanks man i didn't grab one before we started um yeah let's let's transition in the deer hunt you know um and that's where i want to kind of come back to the question i asked like starting this thing off you know y'all have this history together that goes back to IG, 
old days, like getting to know each other, and then like y'all start to work together with some hunt stand stuff, recipes, meat week, you know, some other cool stuff that y'all get to do in projects. What eventually led to getting the boat y'all out here in Oklahoma? We were talking about turkey hunting, right? Yes. Yeah, we've been talking about turkey hunting for a few years, and like, man, it's weird how it works out, but I've got a handful of folks who we talk about going hunting together for sometimes years mm-hmm. and for one reason or another it just doesn't always work out takes a while whatever this was one of those deals like we, i think we've wanted to hunt together for the last several years and we missed the we missed our opportunity to turkey hunt this spring um and i was like man we need to just make this happen and the only way we're going to do it is if we set a solid game plan and this spot here in Oklahoma, I've had in the back of my head because I've turkey hunted out here twice. We were with Rut and Strut Guide Service out of Elk City, Oklahoma, with Todd Rogers. He's been running this operation for, oh, I don't even know, I think more than 20 years. Um, some very, very, I guess you want to if you want to say big names, uh, especially when outdoor TV used to be more of a thing, have hunted here with Todd. Uh, he just runs a super super solid operation and so i've always wanted mm-hmm. to come back in whitetail hunts i had only turkey hunted out here and uh this just this just felt like the year and it just i thought of you and i'm like man when we do a hunt together i want to do a real camp i don't yeah. want to i don't know like i don't want to just like go hunt for a morning or something like i want to do a full camp full immersion no hotel no hotel like legit hunt camp and so we were fortunate to be able to set up a tent camp out here on an oil pad in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma. All we got is windmills and coyotes, coyotes howling everywhere and oil tanks and weird sirens from the windmills. Yeah. Just <laughs> twilight zone stuff going on Whining out here. Engines. But I, I, I mean, I'm always very careful and superstitious and like knock on wood, but I was like, I know this is going to be a good deer hunt. Yeah. It, th- this is just, such underrated country in western Oklahoma the whitetail hunting is incredible it's there's a lot of remoteness out here Mm -hmm. there's a lot of cover uh everything that whitetails need like we were talking about yesterday to get old especially like they got everything they need to survive but they've also got what they need for bucks to hit higher, higher age classes yeah um, and also because a lot of it is, majority of it is private ground. Mm-hmm. So either it's outfitted or a family hunts their own ground or somebody leases something. Um, there is there is some public land out here in Oklahoma, not a ton. Um, but when you've got so many huge, like, contiguous pieces of private ground, a lot of which is managed, especially for, like, upper age class bucks, yeah. um, you can have some astonishing deer hunting like awesome deer hunting and i i guess you which can speak we found to that. this week <laughs> i mean i just i don't know what to say man i've never seen so many cool deer in my entire <laughs> life like it reminded me of being back home that first deer season when i was seeing all these brutes everywhere mm-hmm. and it's just been since then i just have not seen that level and concentration of deer in one spot it's like the concentration that this terrain pushes them into. It's like there's these draws and they'll go from patches of trees to patches of trees. And there's 
waist high grass everywhere yep. for them to go through so they feel somewhat safe being out in the open and they don't have to go very far in between some of these things you know they're where are they going to go like half a mile at the most mm -hmm. during the daytime but i mean the first sit that first morning i mean we saw i don't even know how big that deer was at four or five hundred yards you, it's kind of hard to really tell how big they are at that distance and man i was just trying to range it and i couldn't and he was like there's all those like little gradients up so i'm like trying to range it with my rangefinder sideways to see if i can get a range because i was like is he at 350 or is he at 650 and i was right. like i just have to leave this thing alone it's too far yeah and he's cruising and then no more than 10 minutes later just beautiful i mean i thought he was a mule deer at first because his antlers were just so long mm -hmm. he was like a younger deer and just had this really cool rack on him and i passed him because he looked like he's maybe two and a half years old and it was the first sit first morning yeah you know see these two deer and you know um then later that evening we saw just a ton of does we had one milling out in front of in front of us and right about 3 30 or so i see one with just this really weird set of antlers prance across from one group of trees off out in front to our right to the furthest to the left this is kind of like southeast to southwest they're just crossing the draw there's this little strip of fence they'd come across there and they'd work their way through and you know he finally paused in a spot where i could get a shot and it's super easy shot for me it was like a mm -hmm. 150 yards or something i mean it, like my buck i shot in missouri i hit it at 400 yards and it was a perfect shot like, yeah i've been working really hard with my rifle to yeah just be effective i want to kill animals as fast as i can mm -hmm. and be able to reach out if i need to so you know and i'm leaning on the blind window i'm super steady focused maybe had my thumb in the wrong spot on my rifle but you know and I mean, you'll see it in the video, like, it looks like a black powder rifle went off. I had it some sort of weird powder in one of one yeah. of my bullets, and it just totally whiffed that deer. And in the way that he ran away, it looked like he was hit. And the way that he ran away from the camera, like, the trail goes downhill. So it looked like he was just, fought, like, he was kicking and falling into the deceiving. ground Deceiving. Very, Very deceiving. deceiving. And it took us looking on, like, we went out and looked for blood. There was zero blood. There's no hair. And I was like, this make, I was just beyond confused. I was like, how, what do you mean there's no blood or hair? And we're looking right at the spot where I had shot from, and there was a really distinct tree, and his whole body was, like, just past that. And we looked and looked and looked. And we go down and, like, start looking in the creek bottom, because mm -hmm. we're still trying to think if he's right there and if he's not perfectly hit or something i just yeah. don't you know it had been an hour but just in case and so we're glassing in there and see these this great rack down there i was like well i see some tines there he is there he is and logan heard some he's like i think i heard some some thrashing or something down there and it must have been a deer running away from us yeah. or something because we're in this creek bottom where they all like to hang out walk down and there's a deadhead down there <laughs> Not your deer. Not my deer. And so deliberating back and forth, I mean, we were we were all in here for, what, like an hour and a half? Just, Long time. Just looking and looking and looking. Just Reviewing slow, footage. Slow I'm so glad we had a camera, man. Yes. Oh, yeah. Really. Yeah. For That's this it. one, because it would have eaten me up. Yeah. Not knowing, like. What to do. Not being able to see what happened or any of that, like. 
Yeah. And it, feeling like you need to go figure out where that deer is. Yeah. Yeah. Having having uh, footage of a shot, even if it's just half-ass GoPro footage, I try to tell as many people, like, if you can roll film at all, just do it. If it's just a GoPro and you say, all you have to do is press a button, not to try to film your hunt to share with people or whatever, but just to yes. have that to review is so priceless, especially if you're bow hunting. I yeah. Mean, Big time. And you have a lighted knock, I mean, on top of that. But, like, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. we. So that's what I missed. We, uh... I think some weird thing happened with that cartridge. Like you said, I've never seen a centerfire rifle put out smoke like that. Yeah. Super strange. It wasn't just a little bit of smoke. No. no. It was a lot of smoke. Like, <laughs> it looked like, like you shot a muzzleloader. Are you shooting a freaking muzzleloader, muzzle loader, man? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I brought my muzzleloader to 308. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, fast forward to the next day, you know. Uh, yeah, next talk, morning we went yeah. up the same spot. We mm-hmm. figured uh, we owed it to the animal also to be out there again just to see if there was any crows, coyotes, mm-hmm. any of that, ravens, whatever. And so we go out there, and it's dead as a doornail, man. Like, there weren't even birds, let alone predators and, you know. Nothing. Nothing. Just nothing. So, so yeah, we're just sitting there. Just, you know, there was a spot where these does had been working out in front of us at 50 yards. And the buck that I shot surprised the crap out of us at, like, 20 yards, like, right in front of me. Just there. In a spot where you hadn't seen any deer. He walks up and I hit Logan. I was like, "Buck, shooter!" Because I, I mean, instantly, just you just know. You could tell, and you just know when it's a deer you want to get. You're just, you just. Yeah. yeah, I think we need to. I think we need to qualify that for people because we're yeah. talking about like upper age class deer yeah. and like you pass on a two and a half year old and this and that. Um, all of us are on the same page in the regard that a quote unquote shooter, yeah, is the one that does that. Yeah. Where you just know, yeah, you're not you're Makes not your necessarily sitting there trying to no. count inches or age it on the hoof. You know, you sometimes know. sometimes you might do that just as part of the process, but usually that first like if your heart skips a beat yeah. and you go into to kill mode, like yeah, it's that's that's the animal for you, you yeah. know, yeah, and then the rest is just details at that point, but. Yeah. The reason why we, why we brought up uh, the whole thing with age class and whatnot is just because we are in a very unique place where on a five-day hunt, you know, sure, shoot the first thing that makes you happy, but there are a lot of above-average deer out here mm-hmm. um, compared to a lot of other places in the country, and the conditions were great. We still had, for some reason, even though it's, it's post-rut, we had some pretty legit rutting activity out here. And we were just seeing a lot of deer, so it was, it was more like, you know, hey, let's let's enjoy ourselves and like watch deer, and I don't know, like uh, the expectations or the the goals, at least for me on any any hunt I'm on, whether it's at my own family's farm, or a lease that I have, or if I'm on the road, it is all 100% relative to the moment. Like, yeah, you might go into it thinking like you have some sort of like, oh, I'm going to shoot for a, an animal of this caliber. But for me, it's like that whole thing changes on the fly. Like it is totally a fluid thing. Like, yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to, I, I think it is important to explain that to the audience because we're not, we're not just out here like, oh, we're only going to shoot 
a deer of this class. Like, no, I mean, we're just, we're, we're giving it to you in the terms of like what we're, we're setting the stage for what we're dealing with out here, you know, and every yeah. spot's different. It's yeah. all relative. Oh, 100%. Because there's places that you go that the deer just, they're wildly different. They're so adaptable. Their bodies change. Their nutrition changes. Their, so their antlers look different. Every, every location's different. Yeah, totally. There's, there's a lot yeah. of places you hunt where seeing a four and a half year old deer, let alone a, a five and a half or six and a half year old deer, is it's a like, rarity. It's like it might be one in a hundred or one in 200, right. you know, like. Yeah. It's just totally, totally relative, but we're fortunate to be in a place where there are a lot of bucks. I think you guys would also agree. We haven't talked about this, but seems to be a really, really reasonable buck to doe ratio out here. Yeah. Yeah. It's not 50-50. It's not one-to-one, but it's, it's not super offset. Like a lot of places you go where it's like one to 10. Yeah. Um. So it's just a, it's just, it's a great place. Yeah. Yeah. So that buck steps out, you nudge him. Yeah. What happens next in the blind? Well, I mean, he's getting his – Logan's getting everything ready, and he's, he's like, on him, and he's in the right spot. And, you know, uh, I'm just being careful to make sure that I have the clearest shot because it's a 50-yard shot. I'm like, there's no reason to rush. He seems like he's eating. He went to the same spot to where those does were and he was real interested and he was eating and smelling around and he was comfortable he was super comfortable so i'm just like you know after having you know that experience yeah in a place that i know there's just all these amazing bucks and i'm like oh i can't goof this up i need to just be real careful and yeah just took a deep breath and waited until he was perfectly broadside and i think we watched him for a minute and a half before mm-hmm. i took a shot you know, it was really nice to just kind of soak it in and really look at him and really figure out where the crease was, where I wanted to take the, the bullet. And I shot off half of his heart, went out the front of his front shoulder, and he went down immediately. I'm glad I hit him where I did kind of like his – it immobilized his one arm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he died. He flopped and was down immediately, but he didn't have the ability to jump down the – into the creek which yeah. would have been a 20 foot drop straight down yeah and that would have been a mess getting them out that would so. have been fun yeah that would have <laughs> so been i was fun. thankful for that and you know we we're able to real quick just get the yamaha and throw them on and get them somewhere else for getting a couple pictures and kind of like leave that area just in case we need to go back and hunt again for josh or whatever or in case so. josh needed to go back yeah. because you had, at this point you had passed how many how many bucks had we seen and some younger, I mean, younger guys? Yeah, I think I – I don't know. I maybe passed – we saw a lot, but yeah. I think I passed, like, three that were kind of head scratchers. Yeah, yeah. And uh, – The same deer I missed you saw. Yeah, that's that's the one. Early that morning, yeah. Yeah, so actually the um, – A mile away. The very first evening of our hunt here, which was kind of a bonus evening because we got here early – and then that following morning in the same spot, we saw the buck that Caleb ultimately ended up missing. And what was that, uh, like a half mile away or something a like mile. that? A mile. A mile. Yeah, a mile away. So these deer out here, to understand this country, if you were looking at it from the top down, um, which when you watch the Hunt Stand original, obviously you'll see what it looks like and whatnot. But from the top down, it's just, it's actually, there's there's quite a bit of terrain um, there's a lot of little rolls and, and uh, kind of like small drainages and canyons and whatnot and, and draws and a lot of just native grasses and 
for your quintessential kind of creek bottom uh, lined with, uh, I think, cottonwoods and mm-hmm. Osage orange and a um, bunch of gnarly mixture trees. mixture of other stuff. Yeah, very, very brushy country, ultimate whitetail habitat. Um, but these deer travel. Like, yeah. they will travel long distances on the regular, not just during the rut when they're cruising. But, like, if there's a wheat field a mile away, it is not a big thing for them to go to that and then make their way back to bed. Um, you know, travel a mile each way every single day. Yeah. Um, and so that actually is a – that can help and it can hinder because they are so concentrated on mm-hmm. – those minimal agricultural food sources out here there's not a lot of ag there's a there's a wheat field a wheat field here a wheat field there but beyond that there's not a whole lot going on so this is a state where you can bait so corn is a very prominent thing feeders are a prominent thing and i remember the first time i hunted oklahoma i was like man i don't know like i grew up this mentality of like hunting whitetails from a tree stand in the timber and no baiting, none of that kind of stuff. Or, you know, earlier, later on, I, I hunted over agriculture or food plots, really the same thing. Um, and I got out here and I was like, am I going to, how am I going to feel about shooting a deer over a corn feeder? And this was, this was already, you know, 13 years ago. And I realized then once I actually experienced it, versus just like my suppositions uh like their corn feeder is akin to our food plot um and Mm -hmm. you need well not you don't need but it sure is nice to have a place to concentrate deer and concentrate traffic or at least have a stopping point otherwise like i said these deer yeah you can catch them on really on travel corridors but if you don't have a destination food source to hunt um I mean, that's that's all. Pretty much all these deer are going to a destination food source somewhere, and there's just not a lot of them. So that means not a lot of people have access to them. So it's really you can hunt pretty much travel routes or bedding areas, or if you're lucky enough to have a wheat field. But beyond that, the only way to feed them and keep their nutrition level high is with feeders. So. Oh, I forget where I was even, how that. We were diving oh. into your we're, situation. Well, we're talking about how far Caleb's deer was traveling, and, and the reason that deer was doing that was, A, yes, there's rutting activity going on, so there's some cruising, um, but also it's they they travel a lot out here. So it's it's wild that we both saw the same deer a mile away, but it's also totally just the norm out here for that to happen. And and to note, too, I mean, we the first time we saw him, we didn't really get a good look because he came in like last light like we knew there was a good buck but we couldn't tell like how good but then we saw him the next morning yeah once it once it's all said and done and we saw the footage of him when caleb missed and this and that like i'm like man (laughs) i would have shot that deer all day (laughs) but we just didn't get a good enough look at him we were early in the hunt and whatever so yeah but it all ended up working out because caleb ended up shooting a, a tremendous eight point just super massive uh just a, just a gorgeous deer beautiful mass and awesome i kept hunting and um because i was holding out a little bit it allowed all of us to get some to spend some time together out there hunting mm-hmm. and uh it was kind of poetic because we're sharing a hunting camp but a lot of times you're in a hunting camp with people and you don't actually go hunt with them you, you go out and do your own thing and that's yeah. what we had been doing but you had the opportunity to get me 
get in the blind with me yesterday afternoon, and that's when the stars aligned. Yeah, those are where the real shenanigans started, you know. And I want to hear about this because oh, it's so fun. Like I, I want to hear the story of the deer and how it went down because I was gonna go look at another spot to check and see if there were maybe some shooters coming in, and then I'm literally about to leave to go to the blind, and I get a FaceTime call from you. Like, talk me up to that point right there. So we had essentially five different blinds to hunt yeah. out here. Um, it was pretty cool because we were able to set up our own camp. Todd gave us the lay of the land. We went and marked everything up in hunt stand on the first day when he gave us the tour. And then he just cut us loose. We mm-hmm. knew what we had to work with. And then from that, at that point forward, it was, it was our job to make the decisions. So Which was nice. Oh, it was great. It was great. It was it was basically what I would classify as like semi-guided, um, borderline, almost just like paying a trespass fee because basically, you know, he there were no parameters. He he just we were able to go out the and, fence line. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, this cut into the chase on it. The the spot where I ultimately ended up shooting my deer was the most remote spot that we had access to. And it was just this, it was just this really cool spot dirty. out in the middle of nowhere. Just a dirty spot. It was, it was one of those like, it had a vibe. Like it, it had the vibe that you grew up watching videos of watching real tree monster bucks yes. and other just like hunting videos, and like you just see these monster deer appear, and you like you just got down there. It's like, I've seen this before. Yeah. I've yeah, that's like deer. Just yes. looks like a. There's got to be a deer. There's got to be a mega. Nah, in not just a deer. It's like yes. a spot. Yes. Yeah, it was it was definitely putting off the vibes and we had hunted it a few other times um out of a muddy ground blind and we we saw several bucks. We saw a couple nice ones, but uh I just I wasn't really feeling it like we were talking about earlier. I didn't I didn't get the urge, that unstoppable urge at all. They were young. They were younger bucks. Mm-hmm. Gorgeous animals put on a show for us chasing does grunting and we also saw a lot of does and, and yearlings and, and fawns and stuff like that so we saw a lot of deer activity um but i knew that i wanted to we had hunted it two mornings and i knew that i wanted to get an evening in there mm-hmm. because we kind of recognized what the pattern was the deer were going from south to north in the morning which you can almost bet that they're probably going from north to south in the evening problem was the wind conditions uh, and where the blind was set up with what we had here uh, we had kind of a um, well we had wind that was switching from a south wind in the morning to a north wind in the evening never and seen that before it was like every day it would do that it yeah. was like south wind in the morning and then it would just start to rotate 180 and then by the evening it'd be completely opposite prime what time. it was prime yeah. time right just what you need yeah that's the, like the best thing when you're hunting Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Just told polar opposite. Like Which, you're you're good when you get in there. Yeah. But yeah. or you're not, and you're good later. Yeah. I mean, and it's just playing those draws. Yeah, and it just it just happened to be that with the draw that we were hunting, it was oriented north south. So, I mean, if you're hunting, it, it it all depends on the setup. That type of wind condition, you know, starting at one direction and flipping 180 throughout the day. There's mm-hmm. a lot of places where that can work just fine. Just where we were at, it couldn't. Because the deer were going to end up downwind of us in the evening. Yeah. And so I eyed up a spot on the opposite side of the draw. Um, Open face. Yeah, just a just a 
an open field with some short grass. The grass wasn't even that tall out there. Had just enough elevation so that if we moved over there, we'd still be able to see into the draw. And um, I just knew it was going to be the only play. Like, it's very easy to convince yourself that you might be able to get away with something and go about things the lazy way, but it, it almost never works out. Sometimes it could, but usually it doesn't. Unless you have, like, a the blessing of some random thermal that's pulling all your scent up in the air over yeah. the deer. But a lot of times... A lot of times you like you can't count on that, especially no. if you're not familiar with the area and how the wind dynamics work. So I knew that we had to relocate the blind. That's exactly what we did. Uh, me and Caleb and Logan behind the camera went back out in the evening, brought the muddy blind out there with us, went to go pop it up out in this open field, and oh, that Bl was a, the blind gave you fits. It was a bit of a cluster. Uh, that that blind that we were hunting out of that model, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to see what it is. It's actually, I've hunted out of probably two dozen different types of pop-up ground blinds, and it's in my top three for sure. The window configuration, the construction, uh, everything about it, I really really love. But we something got screwed up with the hubs, uh, either the first time the blind was set up or when we took it down that morning. So if any of you guys have hunted out of ground blinds a lot, you know what we're talking about here. Sometimes like if the hubs aren't collapsed properly, it can be a disaster when you go to pop that blind back up. So here we are trying to make this stealthy entrance and I'm worried that like every deer on the tree line is going to be sitting there watching us. The point is we're, we're Caleb out in is the your middle. saving grace. Yeah, so I, I'm having a mount. We go to pop this blind up. It's a disaster. Uh, the hubs are all tangled in with the, or the, the, the rods are all like tangled up and like I'm having a meltdown up there on this hill. I'm sweating because I wore my layers for the evening thinking we just all oh, stroll in there, pop up the blind and sit down. So I'm like soaked in sweat, having a meltdown, thinking every deer in the area is seeing us. We're making a racket. I'm just like, man, this is not right. And Caleb just calm and collected, just like if you get a if you get a spool on your fishing reel where the line just goes haywire or a, you know a rat nest or something there's certain people that'll take the time to meticulously work it out and there's other people who just take a knife and cut that line off and just completely like re-spool it i was ready to freaking take some paracord and and like engineer something just to get that wall up i could see the wheels turning oh I was yeah. like this isn't gonna end well if i don't interject some here somehow yeah. here just a little bit mm -hmm. he he caleb calmly defused the situation uh uh freaking disarmed the bomb <laughs> and we were all good it was it was kind of a weird hostage situation there for a second <laughs> and uh we got the blind popped up Sitting there, finally calmed down, enjoying ourselves. Plenty of time for the evening to roll in. We're all taking bets on when we're going to see the first deer. I guess 315. You guess 330. Logan guessed 345. And sure enough, right at uh, what time? He's like right at 3. Right at 3 o'clock. Yeah. Caleb just gets done telling me the story of his first deer. He's wrapping up the story of his first deer that he ever shot. I catch the movement in the corner of this field. And I'm like, it's a buck. It looks like a good buck. And then things just went 
like I often say and like they often often do, they just went zero to sixty. And next thing you know, we got a big buck walking right down the line at us, putting on a little bit of a show, hitting some licking branches. I could see him sampling the air. We would not have killed that deer if we would have stayed in that blind where it was previously. Would have yeah. caught the move wind. was absolutely clutch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I let him walk right into my crosshairs, and that was the end of it. And the crazy thing about it, when you FaceTimed me, I thought you were playing a prank on me because I saw Josh FaceTime me. I'm like, either he's playing a prank on me because I've been pranking you all week, or they're that bored, something funny's happened, or they actually killed, and lo and behold, y'all killed. And what I thought was crazy about it, when we went to recover your deer, like the wind was blowing south, and then like as soon as we went to recover it, which Hunt Stand said it was switching like 3 to 4 p.m., and Caleb noticed it too. We're sitting there taking pictures, and that wind just yeah, like flies right away. I mean, just it was in a it. moment. It, it wasn't was, like a subtle thing. It was yeah. Just it was just whew, could just yeah. yeah. I was just like, whew, and hit, if you wouldn't have made that move, your face, whew, you yeah. may not have seen that deer. No way, no way, because the wind would have blown directly down that whole alley it was walking. Yeah, that open grass. There's no way that wind would have flown all the way down that because it's like a tunnel. Oh yeah, yeah. They would have they would have been onto us. In fact, you know, there's a good chance that they smelled us on the way in, but, you know, depending on how pressured deer are and whatnot and their their kind of yeah. their personality or demeanor, if it's just a quick blast, you know, mm-hmm. deer like this will put up with it. And there is that creek yeah, bottom, and sometimes those will suck that if you're just crossing through an area and your wind's kind of going that direction, I just feel like creek bottoms will just suck a little bit of that in. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's like that, a vacuum. It, it's that, yeah, I feel yeah. like our scent potentially just got – funneled down into that little creek bottom right there that we crossed and that just was enough because it was angled kind of like towards that it wasn't like straight into the bedding it was kind of like yep yeah (laughs) more towards that creek and i think it probably just got sucked into that little spot well i know we're getting slim on time so i want to pretty much ask both y'all the same question you know to wrap up this podcast y'all meet on instagram how many years ago actually was that five six years ago so it was around the time that you were getting into hunting yeah it was right after okay yeah i had shot my my first buck okay so you had just gotten fresh back into it or gotten into it and everything so going from that into both y'all finding the success that you did here you know finding the success that you got quick on it was day one correct yeah day one or here yeah Yeah. day one and then you know you it it kind of got to the point where it was like you got to the halfway point. There's a little bit of struggling. You know, did we make the right decision on this? And then y'all found success, though. Found it. What did it mean going from that initial Instagram conversation leading up to everything that happened this week? Like, what did that mean to both y'all? Caleb, we can start with you. I mean, it it meant the world, the world to me. I mean, it's like the from the first conversation that I had with Josh, we were like, bonding we had stuff in common and it's just kind of like i immediately was like i would love to hunt with or like do some something fun with this dude he seems like a a cool person Mm -hmm. so to you know get invited to go camp with somebody first of all that's like there's a certain amount of trust that you're not going to be like a mess yeah yeah (laughs) you're gonna make things fun yeah you know and so that that feels good and then you know like this hunt too it's in a really special place oh yeah you know 
people just don't just invite you willy nilly to mm-hmm. like really cool places when it comes to hunting. You know, we're all kind of a little bit secretive and kind of filter people. Yeah. Like who's going to join you on this trip? If it's going to be a really good one, you're not going to bring just anybody. So that, that to me felt that it feels good. Yeah. I felt seen, you know, and Josh mm-hmm. was like, I'd love you to, I asked him, I was like, what do you want? What do you want me to do on this trip? He's like, you know, get a little day in the life footage for the video and uh, cook us one of your amazing wild game meals. And I prepared stuff for, as you saw, like four nights. Oh my. Every night. Every. Then, what are you I talking cooked, about? One every night. Stuff that you brought. So you know, I was just ready oh. to be camp cook, and that makes nothing makes me happier, honestly, than like getting to hang out with a bunch of. Sorry, I'm hitting a fly here. Um, then feeding a bunch of my friends, mm-hmm. you know, and sharing an experience like this, like, and you know, you and I, I'd never hung out with either of you guys. And yeah. I don't know. I, it was just really fun. It was a, something I've just needed to, I've worked really hard this year. Heck yeah. With my man. business. So this was like, uh, recharging my soul. That's exactly what it was meant for. Yeah. That's exactly what it was meant for. What about you, man? Mr. Jeff. Man, I'll just, I'll just keep it simple. It was a long time coming and Sometimes I feel like I wait too long to do these types of trips or set up these types of experiences with a with a friend. And uh, man, you only got so much time on this rock, so you never know when you know you never know when people are going to come and go. So it's just it's kind of a relief that we finally were able to do this. And man, it's just it was the full. It literally could not have gone any better from top to bottom. Like, we saw a lot of deer, success, infinite amounts of laughter this week between all of us. I mean, oh, we gosh. just had oh, a good Jimmy. time. <laughs> oh, no, Jimmy. Jimmy. <laughs> no, man, we just, uh, it, it just reinforces what this whole hunting lifestyle is all about and hanging with a circle of people who understand that and are embedded in that as part of their you know part of their fabric like you don't have to just identify as a hunter but if you take it seriously and it's a big part of your life then like it is man it's it's like the best common bond you could have and whatever else you do with the rest of your time doesn't really it doesn't ma- it doesn't matter yeah. what other what other views you have on different things and all that doesn't matter doesn't matter not when you're out here in a tent going after deer and enjoying good food and mm-hmm. i mean that's it that's the common bond that everybody can share so that's what it was for me good food good company good hunting and it's not always about the kill but y'all got it done yeah. Hunt stand originals wrapped and so i know i definitely learned a lot from you this week just like seeing like i told you like breaking down that deer like i told you a lot of my stuff if if I don't really know what to cook with it or how to cook it, I just put it in a grind pile. But just like seeing what you did with the flank and just different cuts of meat and that stew you made, dude. Next deer I kill, I'm ha- I have a whole different outlook and perspective on how and what I do with that meat now instead of just throwing it in a grind pile and keeping steaks and all that. And so, yeah. um, it was a real real honor and pleasure to get to share camp with you and just have a great week with everybody here. And so. Uh, you know, I think this is going to be pretty cool to see come to fruition before long. So just want to thank you for making the time to come out here, man, and hanging out with us and shooting the deer. And, and, uh, ultimately, you know, we're about to boogie out of camp here in a little while, but just 
wrapping it up with the podcast, man. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate you guys having me and everyone mm-hmm. just being super chill. Like, I instantly felt welcome with, from, with you know, and that's always the thing that, you know, matters the most. Absolutely. If somebody wants to follow you on socials and stuff, what's your IG handle? It's just Caleb.Condit. My original one that was Caleb Condit got hacked, so <laughs> RIP. Starting over. Starting over. I got a whole 650 followers. Hey, you got to start from somewhere. That's right. All right, y'all. Well, we are out live from our Oklahoma camp here in uh, Rudd and Strut Outfitters. <laughs>